Well, good morning. We as a church have been looking at David's life through First and Second Samuel, and we are in the part of the story now where David is on the run from Saul. David is in the wilderness with about 600 men, and our passage today says that Saul has 3,000 men out looking for David. The writer of 1 Samuel puts it this way, Saul sought David every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Every day Saul is in pursuit, hunting David like an animal. So this chapter we're going to read in a moment is David in the cliffs and in the caves of En Gedi, running from Saul. 1 Samuel 24, I'm going to read this chapter for us at this time. When David returned, or when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out his hand against him seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out to the cave and called after Saul, my Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand, shall be, my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of ancients say, out of the wickedness comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. And whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my case, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you've repaid me good, whereas I repaid you evil. And you've declared this day how you have dealt well with me, so that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me therefore by the Lord that you will not cut off my offspring after me, 
that you'll not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is God's word and is given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time we have to look at your word. And we pray that you will help us in wherever we are right now, whether we are glad to be here, whether we are anxious about things in life, whether we are distracted, whether we are frustrated or sad or overwhelmed with life. Lord, wherever we are, may your spirit use the words of 1 Samuel and the story of David to encourage us and to remind us of your love and especially of your son Jesus and all that he does for us. In your name, amen. So one time when I was in high school, I was about to take a test. I had my Scantron out, my number two pencil. I was ready for this multiple choice test, filling in the little things of A, B, C, or D. And as I was waiting, the teacher came by and handed out all the tests to us at our desks. And I looked down at the test I was given, and I noticed that there were some answers on the copy of the test that was given to me. In fact, I noticed that I was given by accident the answer key. Now, I did not come into that class expecting to cheat that day. I wasn't looking for the answer key. I wasn't looking for help in this test. But there in front of me were answers, and I had to decide what to do. I was thinking about this decision I had to make as I read this chapter in 1 Samuel a few times this week, preparing for this sermon. David and his men were hiding in this cave. They were not looking for Saul. They were hiding from Saul. They were not necessarily looking for a way to get rid of the enemy, but there in the cave, out of the blue, Saul walks in to go to the bathroom. Here in the cave where David's men were hiding, comes Saul alone, and he's very vulnerable. He was as good as dead the minute he entered into the cave. Saul was traveling with 3,000 men, but here in the cave, he was all alone, and he was exposed. David's men cannot believe the luck that has happened. Like the answer key that was placed on my desk, King Saul was placed before these men. We read in verse 4 that they say to David, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. They're saying basically, Behold, God said he would give you Saul to kill him, and now is your chance. But here's the problem with these words of David's followers. God never said these things to David. God did promise David that he would be king, but God never told David that he would need to kill Saul in order to become king. So David had a choice to make in this cave. Was this a gift from God, or was this a temptation that would cause harm? What was the right thing for David to do there in the cave? Now back to my opening story, hopefully you know what the right thing for me to do with the answer key given to me by accident. And I have to admit, I did not do the right thing. I did the easy thing. I did the wrong thing. But what is the right thing for David to do? What should he do in this situation? Well, we read what he does. He gets up close enough to Saul with a knife to kill him, but instead of killing him, he cuts off a corner of his robe. He doesn't kill his enemy, and yet he feels real guilty. He feels great remorse. 
The text says that his heart was struck with guilt. He regrets cutting off this little piece of the robe. Why? Well, it's because cutting off of this robe was a symbolic act of cutting away of Saul's kingship. He tells his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to the Lord's anointed. You see, David has great respect for the Lord's appointed king despite the character of this king. David didn't just see Saul as his enemy. He saw Saul as a flawed king anointed and appointed by God. Now Saul had not acted in any way that deserved this honor, but David believed God was sovereign in control of everything, including who was king at this time. David's words and actions here are shaped by the conviction that God is promised or is present and active in everything. David's acts and his lives his life believing that God is present and in control. I mean, think about what David does next. He honestly does, in my opinion, a dumb move. Saul leaves the cave, and David goes out to him and calls out to him. Think about this. He goes out of the cave to talk to a guy that hates him and wants him dead, and who has 5,000 men ready at a moment's notice to go to the cave and trap David and his men in it. This was not a wise military move at all. But David believed that God was in control. David believed that God promised him that he would be king. David believed, despite the fact of how he felt in the moment, on the run in the wilderness, that God was in control of everything. It is hard to believe this at times. It is hard to believe that God is in control when we face the struggles and the pain and the hardship of living in a fallen, broken world. I was reading an article this morning in the Tribune about how one year ago we had no idea we would be in this situation we're in right now when it comes to the virus. It is hard to believe when we feel like we're in a wilderness time, not sure when it's going to end. It is hard to believe that God is in control when we feel like we're on the run and we're in a struggle that will not go away. Perhaps for you it's being a parent, whatever age your kids are, and you feel overwhelmed, you feel tired, you feel like you can't do it anymore, you feel like it's out of control. Or maybe it's the job you're in and it never lets up and you're running on fumes. Maybe it's a struggle or a sin that you cannot seem to overcome. It is hard to believe God is in control when we see the sickness and the death in our city and in our country and in our world. I am often humbled and blown away by the example of people who believe that God is in control in the midst of really hard, difficult situations. Some of you in this church have had faith in the times of deep pain and struggles that is awe-inspiring to me. Thank you for teaching me and being an example of what faith looks like in some really terrible situations. David right now, I believe, is in a time in his life on the run where it would make sense for him to doubt, to give up, and to not believe. And yet we know that God is still his refuge. We know that God is still his help in time of need. We know this because we can read some of the songs that David wrote, recorded in the Psalms, during this very time in his life where he cries out to God and says, You are my refuge. He writes that while he's hiding in a cave away from his enemy. 
He tells Saul in verse 10, the Lord gave you to me in the cave today. I mean, he knows that God is in control. He believes that God was sovereign, even in the fact that Saul entered into that cave that David was hiding in. So why didn't he kill him? Why didn't he treat this as a gift from God to get rid of his enemy? Well, the answer lies in the speech that he gives to Saul in our passage. This is actually the longest recorded speech we have of David in Scripture. And in it, he shows a lot of respect for God's anointed one and God's plan. And one thing we see throughout this speech is that David is patient for God's timing. To David, God's will must be achieved in God's way. God's timing is different than his timing. And this is very hard to believe and live out. God's plan and God's timing is often very different than our plans and our timing. I do not think I need to convince anyone in this room of this truth. David was promised the kingdom, but he wasn't told how and when this kingdom would come. David knew that the kingdom was given to him by the Lord. We looked at this a few weeks ago when Pastor Aaron preached on 1 Samuel 16. The throne was David's, but it had to come to him in God's appointed timing. See, David does not seize the kingdom God promised him, but he waits for the kingdom to come to him. Now, I don't know how to apply this to our lives today. I don't know, how do we know when it is God giving us something or when it's us trying to seize something? I know there's been times in my life where I really felt like God was moving in a certain way and then things didn't work out, and I got frustrated and confused. And a little angry. There are other times when I feel trapped in fear and confusion. Unsure of what God wants me to do. So I do nothing. Now I do believe and I hope you believe that God's will must be achieved in God's way. But it's not always easy to know what that practically looks like in our lives. Honestly, I think I would be with these men in the cave angry at David. For not taking advantage of this gift of Saul going to the bathroom where they could kill him. I would have been disappointed probably watching David bow down and show respect to this man who wanted them dead. Saul has treated David and his men badly. David knows this. We hear these words of David in his speech in verse 11. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt me. You hunt my life to take it. David is basically saying, I will not treat you like you are treating me. David is saying, I will not do to my enemies what my enemies are trying to do to me. David will not have vengeance on Saul, even though Saul has shown nothing but hatred and anger and wickedness towards David during this time. And listen, it is human nature to want to pay back evil for evil. It is very easy for us to want to harm those that we think have harmed us. It is easy to judge others when we feel like they have judged us. And it is very easy to feel justified in our mocking and in our gossip and our degrading of others that we feel are our enemies and do not deserve our love. To give back someone a taste of their own medicine seems appropriate and right. Payback feels good at times. And vengeance to someone who we think deserves it seems right and legit. In a whole range of settings and many different experiences, I believe we face the same dilemma that David does here. Do we treat others the way they are treating us? 
do we take vengeance on those that want to harm us? And what does that look like? Is it right for us to take vengeance on those we believe deserve it? Well, our New Testament reading today had these hard and often convicting words, for me at least, when it comes to vengeance. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Rome and tells us as well, do not repay evil for evil, because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. David will not take vengeance on his enemy. Instead, he waits for justice from his God. Twice in this speech, he says, may the Lord judge. May the Lord judge. David believed that Saul should be punished for his wrongdoings, but he is willing to wait and let the Lord avenge him. He refuses to pay evil for evil. Instead, he places his hope in the God of justice who promises to judge. This is very hard to do when it doesn't seem like God is moving quick enough. You know, like some of you maybe, I recently watched the new PBS documentary, The Black Church. It is great. It is convicting. And I highly recommend it. One of the parts that was very moving to me is to watch over and over again these women and men of color who have hope and justice to come, even though they're in great pain and suffering. To hear the songs of hope sung in churches after lynchings, after burnings, after terrible evil in the past, and even recently, was overwhelming and convicting. I wish I had even just a little bit of faith that these women and men had when it comes to believing God will one day show up. Because the truth of the matter is we all live in a world where it is hard to hold on to the hope that God will come to judge because he doesn't seem to move quick enough. It is hard to believe that God will make things right when it looks like nothing is going right. David had this hope, and it prevented him from seeking the revengeance that Saul absolutely seemed to deserve. And his actions actually moved Saul. It says in our passage, Saul wept before David. Saul acknowledged that he is not as righteous as David. Saul, for the first time, acknowledged the truth that David will be king. This seems like a great moment of restoration between Saul and David. But sadly, we're going to read, it does not last. Saul shows deep emotions here and says things that are true, but it doesn't seem like it affects his life one bit. On the outside, Saul looks good in his actions, but his heart continues to harbor anger and jealousy and rage. So back to my story with the answer key given to me. I not only took those answers that were not mine and used them on the test, but I did something even worse. I took that answer key and I quickly took my pencil and wrote on my desk all the answers I could. A, C, B, D, A, C, on down. And I walked up to the teacher, handed him the answer key and said, I got this by accident and I don't want to cheat. I did wrong, I was wrong, and yet I came across looking so good in front of my teacher's eyes. Now thankfully I have not cheated in a long, long, long time. But I still do what I did with the test when it comes to my life. I still at times act like Saul in our account. On the outside, I could look good. <laughs> my actions could look right. My reputation seems legit. But my heart is far from right. My motives are wrong. And all I care about is what people think about me rather than who I am. Maybe you could relate. 
One of my favorite quotes related to this is from the late great coach John Wooden. He says, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is who you really are. Your reputation is merely what others think you are. How often do we care more about what others think than who we really are? But listen, the way we build up our character is not by just trying harder or being better. The way we build up our character is not by saying, be more like David and less like Saul. We build our character up by trusting in the God who builds us up into being the women and men we are called to be. We strengthen our character by turning to Jesus who gives us everything we need. The only way that any of us in this room can grow in trust in God's plan and God's timing and the belief that God is judge is by turning to the true king, the king greater than Saul and greater than David. We turn to King Jesus who does not just ask us to be better. He asks us to believe better. To believe that Jesus is the one that builds up our character and gives us life and hope and grace and salvation. May we believe this to be true and may it encourage us to live our lives as people who follow this great king in all we do and all we say. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your hope that you give us in your word. We thank you for the truths that you give us in your word, that your kingdom has come and your kingdom will come and that you are on the throne now. Father, may we believe that and may we live our lives reminding ourselves of the truth that you are our king, you are our God, you are our father and you love us dearly. And may that truth help us to be able to wait on you, to trust in you and to believe in you in all we do and all we say. In your holy name, amen.